This podcast is supported by Comcast Business. You're in tech in 2024. Of course you're busy. Whether it's staying on top of potential cyber threats or keeping up with what's trending in tech, you need to know your network is covered. You need a partner you can rely on. You need one provider with fully integrated network and security solutions. You need Comcast Business for managed services and tailored solutions that are built to keep your business going. Powering the CIOs that make it happen. Comcast Business. Powering possibilities. I'm Kara Swisher, and you're listening to Sway. I've been watching a lot of TV lately, and one show I can't stop binging is the Karate Kid reboot, Cobra Kai. Are you sure you're ready? Because once you go down this path, there's no turning back. I got hooked on it last year, as did millions of households when the show moved from YouTube to Netflix. And when the time is right, you'll strike back. It's nostalgic, but it's also surprising. In it, Ralph Macchio is back playing the role of the karate kid, Daniel LaRusso. And his rival, Johnny Lawrence of the infamous Cobra Kai dojo, is once again played by William, a.k.a. Billy Zabka. But unlike the original films, we get to see things from Johnny's point of view. And Daniel LaRusso? There's another side of him, too. The bully gets bullied, and the nice guy is sometimes the villain. The line between evil and good is really blurry now. As I'm watching Cobra Kai, I kept asking myself, did I not see the real story before? Or maybe I've just gained more insight with age. I couldn't figure out which one it was, so I had no choice but to call the OG karate kid himself, Ralph Macchio. Okay, fine. I just want an excuse to talk to him. I'm so excited to do this. I love the series. I think it's wonderful. And obviously, I love the original movies. Did you, were you surprised that it reemerged this way? I, I, this, is, this is a lame response, which is yes and no. The reason I say that, I am not surprised because I've walked in these shoes for 30-something years, 36 years, uh, maybe more than that now. I haven't done the, the recent math, but it has never gone away for me, certainly, being so well associated to that character. And no matter where I am in the world or on the planet, there is an affinity for that character and that film. I always believe if you brought them to the well, they would drink the water. You know, it's become such a big part of pop culture. So the kids today are backing themselves into the movie franchise through the show. Yeah, they are. My kids were, were like, does this come from a movie? And I was like, yeah. Right. <laughs> so a great amount of credit goes to John, Josh, and Hayden, our creators, who sort of came into uh, this as guys who wrote the Hot Tub Time Machine and Harold and Kumar <laughs> go to White Castle. Mm -hmm. Right. I heard that a lot of people sent you scripts to follow up on the Karate Kid story. You said no to most of them. Correct? Right. They were pitches. I mean, some of them were, you know, the elevator pitch. Travolta just got, look what happened with Pulp Fiction to him. You should go back and do a, you know, the David Lynch version of Daniel LaRusso. <laughs> so I was like, okay, what is that? That's frightening. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Or my favorite, which is, um, was pitched to John Avelson, uh, the director of, of the Karate Kid film. Someone said, you know, I've always thought, what if Rocky Balboa had a kid and Daniel LaRusso ah. had a kid and they met between Philadelphia and New York, 
and started this whole, you know, and it's kind of like your reaction is exactly ours. And wow. you know, we all just laughed and like, that'll never work. How did you feel when you were hearing these, like yourself? I, I guess I was at that place. This was probably mid-late 90s when things had really, outside of my cousin Vinny at that time, they were starting to slow down for me. You know, I was probably more, okay, things have gotten a little tougher, thinner, leaner. I need to you know, try to shift into a different direction as opposed to, okay, let's go do that again. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of actors do shift into that or live in those roles. How difficult is that to break out of a role when you're an actor with such an iconic character? Yeah, it's it's challenging, certainly. And, um, you know, you're definitely swimming upstream. The current is strong. Listen, there is a call it fairy dust, call it whatever it is that's sprinkled upon this Karate Kid universe that it is blessed in some way. And I allude to this story when when William Zapka for the first time and I stepped on the stage together. We hadn't been on camera together since, you know, 1980, whatever. And for the most part, anytime we were on screen together, he he was kicking my ass (laughs) and I was taking a beating. There wasn't a lot of sitting down at the coffee shop, having a conversation. And we instantly had this chemistry, this sort of This life had gone by a little more wrinkles, a little less hair, but there was a sort of magic between us that I don't even think we had back in the day. And I think some of that had to do with sharing a unique connection of being connected to this movie, this entity that we all share from a different perspective. That is something that doesn't happen very often. No, you have a really amazing rapport that you almost didn't even have in the movie. Right. Not at all. And how old were you both then? The- uh, 21 for me. I turned 22 making, yeah, my birthday was on when I was shooting Karate Kid and he was uh, you know, 18. Right. So it first launched YouTube in 2018 and then it was acquired by Netflix. And you and he are both executive producers. What did you think when they came to you with the YouTube prospect? The project came to me, John, Josh, and Hayden came to me. I was the last one to the party because I was the most, I guess I was the most resistant. And and listen, they were pitching a show called Cobra Kai that came in through the eyes of Johnny Lawrence. They probably said, okay, how are we going to sell him on this? They got Billy on board and then they came in to pitch it to me. It took a, a couple of rounds, but I just felt now's the time. So then we put it all together and the deals got done and everyone's, you know, the target was Netflix. And when the pitches came in, Sony put them together. It was Amazon. It was Hulu. um, It was HBO, even though they were never going to buy this show. It was cool. They wanted to hear it. And then there was Facebook, which was just starting to look at originals, believe it or not. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Facebook. Who did you meet with there? Did you go? We met with Mina Lefebvre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we literally, when we walked into her office, it was just boxes. She said, I got here Tuesday. This is the first thing I'm hearing. Yeah, yeah. I forgot about Facebook originals. Yeah. Yeah. And it was kind of fun. But our first pitch was YouTube and it was put there kind of as our warm up. And it was a well orchestrated pitch. We rehearsed it. It had a visual sizzle reel and Billy and I would interject in between as the guys were talking through the pilot. We would add a line here, line. It was. So it was the two of you, you and Billy and. Me, Billy and the three creators. Three creators. Yeah. And Suzanne Daniels took over for YouTube uh, Originals and YouTube Red at the time, which then changed to YouTube Premium. 
you know, her model, she was there to compete with Netflix and, and they had the advertising budgets. And, and Google has a lot of money, apparently. Because- Google has a lot of money, not that they gave it to uh, YouTube. Yeah. Yes, the pitch went incredible to the point that Suzanne and company were basically pitching us why we have to be there. The only thing they didn't do was hold onto our ankles as we were walking out. <laughs> Because what she saw there is this is the tent pole. This is the one I need. Which they need, which all these streaming services yeah, need. You need right? that one. The house of cards for Netflix, or, or if you will, right? Uh, we pitched it. Netflix, fine. That went great as well. And Ted Sarandos was in the room for the first mm-hmm. half of it, but had to jump out to a meeting. So we were important. The top people. No, Ted now is running Netflix for people who yes, don't know. Yep. Right. So anyway, to, to bring this in for a landing, at the end of the day, during the, the pitch, the YouTube just said, here, make them. And Netflix wanted to, at that point, develop. They wanted to see something. YouTube did not see a written word. Just let's go for it. Let's go for yeah. it. Yeah, And the low expectations, once we did our upfronts or whatever it was, Billy and I appeared with Suzanne saying it's going to be the rivalry of the ages. And then you start hearing, oh my God, I love this idea. It's going to be the worst. It's going to be like a bad cavity that Mm -hmm. I can't, I enjoy the pain, but I hate it at the same time. It's going to be terrible. And those low expectations did not hurt us. Thank goodness you didn't go to Quibi. I know. It's funny you mentioned because I met, I was at a a dinner with a friend and someone was working for Peacock getting that started. And when he heard about um, Cobra Kai and I, it was the first time I sort of let out information that it might not be going back to YouTube. His thing was like, well, you should go to Quibi. That's perfect. I said, no, this is, this is like a global, uh, he'll remain nameless. So Netflix. So how did it get over? So you were doing two seasons Yeah, we did two seasons. It did very well on YouTube. The fun part of YouTube was you could watch the numbers, like the show launches and you're watching 2 million, 2.5 million. You could, you know, because it's, you're watching those views. The the downside is teaching people how to get YouTube premium and not have to hook up your computer to a toaster and make sure the kitchen Uh light is on. Otherwise (laughs) it won't come through. It felt almost like that. Yeah. It's like a a hamster on a conveyor belt. Then let's get it going. And certain people of certain ages had no idea how to even get it. And right, and the audience, the target audience, might not. Yes, right? yes, and that was a problem. That was so. the The concept was um, wow. Could you imagine if this was on a platform that was easier to reach for the right demographic? And and then when we got to season, we finished shooting season three, which you saw. We for YouTube, very, for YouTube, for YouTube. Oh yes, and I was feeling this writing on the wall. Shooting season three, it just got very quiet from YouTube. It just was. There was a disconnect. It felt like there was something going on. So when I got the call a couple of weeks after I got back from Okinawa, because we got to shoot a few uh, scenes there, I was really proud of that. Suzanne called basically as close to as an executive can be in tears saying, I'm paraphrasing because I was not on the call, but it's almost that embarrassing call of saying any other place this would be picked up, but we're not going to continue with the show. Yeah, one of the issues is Google itself was not as committed. No, not at all. We felt that from day one. And so I have nothing but great things to say about Suzanne and certainly and, and Google and YouTube for saying, go make it. And uh, they can make a lot more watching Will Smith jump out of a helicopter on his 50th birthday. Then they can't make sense out of that, it seems. So then it was like we were homeless. But what we all did is we said the same thing at the same time. The creators and certainly Billy and I felt the same way. Please don't put season three out. Let us have that. 
let us figure out a way and then still and now and then a pandemic drops. The good news is we had 10 episodes of content anticipated, maybe even highly anticipated content, you could argue, in our back pocket. And we did plenty of uh, Zoom calls and we spoke of the Karate Kid universe, not just Cobra Kai alone. My part of it was saying, okay, I've walked in these shoes in every corner of the world and uh, in every language. And it's that same. And everybody knows it. And they know it. Yeah, because Netflix is a global company in a way other streaming services are not. Big time. I mean, that's a lot of what they wanted to talk about. Right. Were you surprised how popular quickly, because it suddenly came to my attention, to a lot of people's attention once it was on Netflix. It made a big difference. Yes, it's unbelievable. It was just insane. It just blew up instantly. It was end of August. Because of the pandemic, people have time to watch it, too. Yes, that's certainly, uh, I think, maybe in this time in the world, a big, fat, nostalgic embrace that is kind of a comfort food, like the best cheeseburger you had at 12 years old that you they no longer make, but somehow you get to taste it again. People are looking for that, that warm and fuzzy uh, when we're not dealing with warm and fuzzy when we step out of the house. Let me, let me ask you, I'm going to push back a little bit on the, on the comfort food. I think it's a very dark show and interesting and, and complex much more well, so. It yes. could have been super cheesy. You know, you could, you could easily have slid by on the 80s elements of Cobra Kai, like, oh, look at the clothes. And then what you do in the show, which for those who haven't watched The Karate Kids, there's so many references that you just flip off quickly. You don't even take a minute. Like you do them and you do them over and over again, which is even funnier. You know what I mean? Like either wax on, wax off or the one with the spaghetti in the, oh, the yeah, white yeah, coat. Oh, yeah, the white jacket. What do you want? You think I want that all? Yeah, yeah, you call it so much attention to it, you can't miss it even. Yeah. Um, some of your sets are kind of cheesy a little bit. Like, it's nothing <laughs> as fancy. That's, that's, I get that, it. but I like it. It works. Like, it you, like you have like one box of cereal yes, versus... Yes, yes. But it works. It works for some reason. So there's a lot of cheesy moments that make fun of the original movie and the tropes of that era and things right. like that. But it actually isn't a spoof. And that's where I think a lot of these 80s things go wrong, is that it makes fun of what people loved in the first place. That's one. And the second one is that it's about bullying. And we're in a bullying era. You know what I mean? And I know it sounds crazy to make the link between that and what happened at the Capitol, but it those people who are running mad at the Capitol reminds you of the Cobra Kai people. Yeah, you know what 100%. I mean? Like it's, it's really interesting. And it definitely goes into darker places in that you yourself, who's supposed to be the good guy, and Billy, who is supposed to be the bad guy, it's complex. You're not so good. Very and he so. is wonderful, by the way, right. as an he's, actor. He's so fantastic. And listen, if he doesn't deliver that performance, they could write it as brilliantly as you want, the show does not continue. And it's the most collaborative art form in the world. But Billy's work is so wonderful and complex and nuanced. The Karate Kid is clearly a black and white mm-hmm. yes, it piece is. of yeah. storytelling, right? Good over evil, all that stuff. I mean, and uh, Miyagi good, Crease bad. Cobra Kai dives into those gray areas where your allegiance episode to episode can change. And now at this point of season three, we now both recognize the good and bad in both these guys and are rooting for both with their two separate types of shortcomings and problems and demons. And that's a big credit to to our writers and creators in seeing the show. And bullying was the first word out of Hayden Schlossberg's mouth. Mm -hmm. And he said, this theme is going to resonate throughout this concept, just like it resonated throughout the concept of the Karate Kid, although it will 
be different and how it's changed over time. It's not, you know, give me your lunch money. I'm going to stuff you in a locker. Technology has changed the game entirely and bullying, being able to rally the troops. So you mentioned the situation in, in Washington on how the internet, you know, can reach the world in a nanosecond and, and, with whatever messaging you choose to put out there, if someone's listening, you could stir up a case. And the, also, what you were talking about is Johnny's character is bullied. You start to see the backstories that is a little more complex of each, including your character, who is a bully in part of it. You make some very questionable choices, and there's a lot of gray areas in your character, for example. Right. I think for LaRusso, you know, he was always, and this was a give and take, a little bit of a struggle early on with the writers on trying to find, okay, how do we believably make him an antagonist at times with good intentions, right? Well, you still living in your victory when you're yes, an adult. It's, yes, kind of com- it's not comical. It's kind of not pathetic, but like someone who had one great moment. And Right. It's like, exactly. He kicked the field goal that won the Texas high school thing. And he's a celebrity every time he goes to Dallas or Austin. But, uh, you know, LaRusso, the character was always knee-jerk, act first, think later, little cocky, even though he had little to back it up. That was sort of my East Coast bravada that I brought to the role, even the first time I read it for Avelson. I had a little bit of that cockiness. And so so we just sort of like amplified that. He got successful. I mean, it was written more in a way than I think I would have written it, but I understood from the entertainment value of coming in through the eyes of Johnny Lawrence how important it was that this guy would haunt him everywhere he turned. We look at when when Johnny Lawrence comes to the dealership. Wait, is this the karate guy? The guy from the tournament? Oh, this is the guy whose ass you kicked. It was a really close match, but if you want to get technical, I kicked his face. (laughs) I'm just busting your chops. It was an illegal kick. What we don't see in that scene or what we don't look at in that scene where he says, it's water under the bridge. We don't hear that. We hear, I kicked his face. It's belittling of him. You you were belittling him quite a bit. Has playing the new role in this new context changed your understanding of the character? You know, I went back and watched season one. Season one certainly is when LaRusso looks most antagonistic because it's setting up the Johnny Lawrence story. Yeah, you're, you're in getting, the meeting trying to yeah, shut him down. He's, yeah, exactly. Say, give me a break. Daniel, show a little respect. Respect? Are you kidding me, Sue? You don't know the history here. John Kreese and Cobra Kai were the embodiment of everything this tournament stands against. And this guy, Johnny Lawrence, he was a star pupil. He was the worst of them all. We'd be dishonoring the entire sport by reinstating Cobra Kai. Come on. When we shot that scene, I never knew visually that they were going to blur out my dialogue and just focus on him and his mind. And it made sense. You had to make a choice. Who were you following in this scene? But um, it's interesting. I look back and watching the film, uh, the original film, you would see those moments that were the seeds that would breed this kind of quality in this person. Also, John, Josh, and Hayden are big fans of The Karate Kid Part 3. I am not and has nothing against the the actors involved. That's the one that 
John Kreese's friend comes from. Yes, right? yes. I Terry do too. Silver. Why don't you love it? Why don't you like it? I that? just felt for the LaRusso character. He never went forward. It felt like we were redoing the first movie in a cartoon kind of sense without oh, the heart it's and soul. It's actually good. You go dark. Like Daniel LaRusso goes dark. Yeah, no, that's the good part. That's yeah. the good part. All right. And you use it in this new series. You yes, use that very with much your daughter. So, so it's, it's interesting to me how... When I talk about The Karate Kid, I'm always talking about the original film, the second movie, where in actuality, Cobra Kai, the last thing that happened that we know is all the events of Karate Kid Part 3. So now I'm fully embracing of that. And, you know, John, Josh and You Hayden, have to yeah. embrace it. Oh, yeah. No. You know, my, I have friends with Jennifer Beals and she first didn't embrace Flashdance and I forced her. I'm like, you have to understand how important that was to so many people. Like, it's not about you. It's not but about I'm, she, you. You're and, not talking about Flashdance 3. No, so you're right. Fair so point. It's a big, <laughs> it's a big difference. It was a very good movie. You're wrong. Yeah, I, awesome. I, I suspect Flashdance 3 would not have been a good movie. Flashdance 2. I don't think they make that. But it's hard to embrace those characters that are iconic for, for actors like that. Did you mind doing that? Because you were the hero and you're not precisely the hero. You moved aside to let Johnny Lawrence become a hero too, which was interesting. And the other one, you were the hero. That was it. Yeah, no, no one was not rooting for Daniel Russo in 1984. You know, uh, it was, you know, you could talk about the illegal kick. This is the kick at the end for those, the crane yes, kick. the crane which kick. Which is whether it's illegal or not. Right, and the theories behind it and then how the internet started that conversation, which only makes this movie more relevant. I never looked at it. I mean, certainly I would battle with the writers at times with, it's so easy for you guys to write the Rich Dick line. Yeah, and I'll yeah. negotiate that out and I'll fight. Right. I'll lose most of them. But what did you it, want to keep? What did you want to keep of? He is a good guy and a good father. Right. And he's, right. he's good husband. He, he, he and a good husband and uh, tries to follow the knowledge and lessons and wisdom that he gained from his human Yoda, who is no longer there. And always pays respect forward to Miyagi and what he, that was always important to me in the show and it is woven throughout. Day one, I said, I can't even consider this unless the Miyagi character and the, and the now void in LaRusso's life is something that is addressed throughout the series because we're not here without that performance. So I want to talk a little bit about the element of politics below the surface. I wonder about Johnny's political affiliations, about yours. One of the things that was surprising is a lot of comments that he makes are just awful, like calling Miguel an illegal. There's, yeah. They drop them in all the time, and there is politics in oh, it. Oh, my uh, God. The absolute joy I get out of watching Johnny Lawrence say everything we're not supposed to say. It's very refreshing. It's It comes up innocent because he is just locked in that time period. I think across the board, people love that. I think there might be some people that would be offended by it, but I, I don't see it that way. I see it as... No, because you paint it as wrong, but he says it anyway. Yeah, he, he, he does says it. it he's anyway. not right. You, there's, yeah. no, there's no feeling as if, yeah, good, good job, buddy, for saying that. Yeah, exactly. No, no, not. But as far as from a political standpoint and connecting that, yeah, listen, I just read something yesterday... It was an article about Trump in the White House, Biden, Cobra Kai, Miyagi-Do, the different, you know, you can draw those 
sort of parallels in a way. I mean, I think where Johnny Lawrence, people ask us, people ask Billy and I, what would Johnny Lawrence do during the pandemic? Would he wear a mask? Uh, would he vote for Trump? Where is Daniel LaRusso stand this way? We tap dance around those for the most part. But I, I think he alluded to the fact that Johnny would rip the mask off and see just by this with your two hands, um, where LaRusso would certainly be having everybody washing his hands in Miyagi holy water right. before he started the kata. <laughs> but LaRusso probably Strat. He's probably because he's, would he's say a businessman. He's, he's a businessman, he and he knows he's going to get creamed in yeah. taxes. Yeah. So I think he leans left, but straddles a little closer to the middle. All right. So one of the other things is a pretty overt explanation of gender roles in Cobra Kai, which I think is great. But one of the things is more girls are doing karate. The questions of hypermasculinity are in there. The of toxic masculinity. Right. Essentially, John Kreese is obviously the walking, talking person. Right. He, by the Post way, fantastic. He does and especially his job. backstory is great too. Yeah, that you know. I really enjoy that in season three. Um, How do you look at that idea? Because the girls are quite active in karate in this case. And I'm not talking about the next karate kid, that one, because I know they were doing that just to show, look, a girl can kick too. But do they think about that a lot? Or do you think about that? Because you're you're training your daughter in this case. We've always spoken about that and and, uh, trying to shine a light on the on the you know that's why LaRusso had a had a daughter and it was important that she remembers Miyagi and it was a it's part of her upbringing and I think that's important uh that sort of empowerment and there is a lot of you know I've gotten a, a handful of questions with the toxic masculinity with it does it shine up a light on that kind of violence and mm-hmm. and because it's quite violent. The yeah, show is... it is quite violent. More violent than I was expecting. Me too. And I, I was, and yeah. I think that some of it, I feel, I think there might be a little bit of a shift, not away from it, but a little bit more less felonies with no consequences. Yeah, I know. I was sort of like, where's the police? These windows keep breaking. Like, I've never broken a window. There's it's like, like we spoke about, uh, okay, we've we've had our big double live album set and now it's time to do the cool acoustic album and, build, <laughs> and go back into the, So that's no, what uh, hopefully going No more going window forward. breaking or, or home invasions. The home right. invasion. I was like, right. wow, you'd go to jail for that one. We'll be back in a minute. If you like this interview and want to hear others, hit subscribe. You'll be able to catch up on Sway episodes you may have missed, like my conversation with actor Brian Cranston, and you'll get new ones delivered directly to you. More with Ralph Macchio after the break. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging. Vanta's trust management platform helps you quickly assess risk, secure the trust of your customers, and automate compliance for SOC 2, ISO 27001, HIPAA, and more. Plus, save time by completing security questionnaires with Vanta AI. Thousands of global companies use Vanta to automate evidence collection and unify risk management. Get $1,000 off Vanta by going to vanta.com slash hardfork. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash hard fork for $1,000 off. My name is Thomas Gibbonsneff. I'm a journalist at the New York Times. I served in the Marine Corps as an infantryman. When it comes to reporting on the front line, a lot of the same basics are at play. Uh, you're looking at the map of where you're going. If you're on a paved road, field roads, you know, is there a hospital nearby? 
Is your body armor affixed with the first aid kit? Does everyone know where that first aid kit is? We arrive into a, a military position. I get out of the car. I look at my watch. You know, I set a timer. No more than an hour. I'm listening for drones, jets, check in with the team. Is everyone comfortable? And if they are, then we proceed. Frontline reporting is dangerous, but I think nothing is more important than talking to the people involved, you know, hearing their stories and being able to connect that with people thousands of miles away. Anything that can make something like this more personal, I think is well worth the risk. New York Times subscribers make it possible for us to keep doing this vital coverage. If you'd like to subscribe, you can do that at nytimes.com slash subscribe. As you mentioned, there's a lot of references to Mr. Miyagi in the show. Pat Morita, who played him, sadly passed away in 2005. You really keep Mr. Miyagi in the story. And talk a little bit about that, keeping him there, because he never leaves this, this show ever. Yeah, no, that was, I wouldn't use the mandate, but that was a need of mine upon first hearing the uh, pitch for me to come on board to weave Miyagi's character throughout. You were personally close to him. Yes. I mean, personally close, I would say no, not as far as him involved in my personal life and me involved in his. I was personally close to him in the sense of as time and years went on, the the, the significance and relevance of our screen partnership around the world became so clear to me. I just don't know if I knew enough karate, you know. Feeling correct. Oh, you sure know how to make a guy feel confident. Daniel said, you trust uh, quality, what you know, not quantity. It was is truly the definition of magic when we did those scenes. Um, there was a give and take. There was a, it was like the perfect tango and without effort. It was effortless. That's the word. I didn't know how much richness it had. I just knew it was easy to do. So therein lies the kind of truth for me. There was something otherworldly or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. In a weird way, it's transferred to Johnny, which is interesting, the yeah. significant relationship. Yes. Because yes. each of those that those movies were about a significant relationship that it's changes your life. It's all about fatherhood. It's all yeah. about overcoming obstacles, bullying. There's single parents. LaRusso with his mom, he lost his dad. Miyagi was a surrogate father. You have Johnny, a strange son trying to help Miguel and and can't mend the relationship with his own kid. That's what, like you said early on in this discussion, that's what makes this deeper than just comfort food. But that is, it still is, in my opinion, because we're looking for love. We're looking to belong. We're looking for all those things. And there is a comfort in that when you can relate to what the characters are going through. Now, you brought back almost all the characters. I thought the scenes with Johnny and his group were surprising because they were they were sort of just assholes in the right. movie, right? And they have right. actually depth. Pretty much everyone's very... Sometimes you don't expect some people no, who it's, throw away roles. No, it's everyone brings the A game. They all bring yeah. the A game. Yeah. But you also focus a lot on these kids, too. The kids having an equal role. And I, it, that has worked rather well, is that you have a relationship with these kids now. The, the viewer has a relationship yes. with the kids. Probably the first meeting, I said, when they were pitching Miguel and Samantha and Robbie, I said, where are we going to, you need great kids. We're going to run out of gas with these two geezers. (laughs) Well, not quite. These two middle-aged guys discussing the same kick, you know, from 1984. Did you all, have you been keeping up with karate moves all these years? 
I have done less of it and I'm doing more of it. And I'm still, after this, I have a a quick photo shoot and then I'm going into training because I want to be better each season. It's tougher to do. Billy kept it up more than I did. Um, Billy's an athlete, you know, and he looks like an athlete. So we're blessed to have him. I'm hanging in there. It was easier when I was 22 than uh, 59, let me tell you. Yeah. So when you think about your career, thinking about it being defined by this role, um, you were in a whole bunch of other things. You were in, you were terrific. I just saw um, my cousin Vinny the other day. I can't believe you were in Eight is Enough, which was yeah, kind of was, interesting. I was nine was too many. Thank you. Yes, nine was too many. <laughs> um, when you think about your career going forward and, and doing this, that this is a really high quality version of your biggest hit. Like you've come back, like no one is mad at the Rolling Stones for doing a great job with their old hits too. How do you look at your career? How do you think about it now from this moment forward? What's next right now is to let this joyride last as long as it it works and it's organic because it has really been wonderfully rewarding from the aspect of doing the show, but also the just keeping this legacy alive in a positive way, you know, and, and I think part of what I've been able to do successfully is the disappearing into that role was where Ralph disappeared into LaRusso, where you couldn't tell where Ralph ended and LaRusso began. And that, I believe, is an achievement as well, as opposed to, okay, I'm going to put on a beard, shave my head, and no one's going to know who I am, and I'm going to use this accent. But a little of both would be fun to explore. Right, right. Well, one of the things is there's no way to escape it. It's a worldwide phenomenal movie that everybody remembers, and and you are the face of it, you know, in some ways. And so that's difficult to... They can't not look at you and see that, right? right? They can't, which I think is difficult as an actor. So you're doing season four right now of Cobra Kai, correct? We're in prep and we're on the launch pad. Although Netflix has, I have to say, they are asking me not to say when we're starting. That's so right. Are you bringing back more characters? Will Hillary Swank be joining, for example? There's, listen, here's the answer. Here's the generic. Anyone who's part of the Miyagi-verse, uh, any character that uh, appeared in the Miyagi-verse, which during the life of Mr. Miyagi and any of those sequels, is canon for this show. So uh, who knows? Yes, no, maybe. So when you think about talking to people today that, like my kids, or I don't know if you have kids. Um, yes, I do, too, in their 20s. Believe it or not. What do you want them to get out of it who don't know every little bit? What do you want to get through to a different audience, the ones that don't know Daniel Russo from back then? What is your goal as an actor and, a, and as an executive producer of this show? Yeah, I think there's a few things. I want to allude to my kids quickly because that's been something I didn't expect. How much am I? My daughter's 28. My son is 25. I'm 32. So, but well, you can figure it out another time. They... <laughs> champion the show. They watch it with their friends. They, I mean, when the the show drops and my kids, it's like Christmas morning. That I didn't expect. That is something personally that's just been so spectacular to me. Something that's such a big part of my life and has followed me for good, bad, or indifferent to this point is such a positive part of, of their life and something that's proud, uh, they're proud of. I think as far as the next generation, as far as not the OG fans from, I think it's carrying the, the the respect of the legacy of the source material, meaning the Karate Kid film and Pat Morita's performance, our relationship, that bit of magic that I spoke about that is 
brought forward to this next cast, this next generation cast. I mean, how they, how whether it's Mary Mauser or Sholo or or Tanner, they ask me questions about that. Yeah, these are the younger actors who play. Yeah, the younger actors, sorry. They love to hear the stories when I tell those stories. And it's rewarding to, it's nice to see that knowledge and that legacy be passed on to the next generation, as well as Hawk coming through the door and kicking the shit out of who, mm-hmm. whoever. Or that Johnny, guy is fantastic. Johnny, yeah, Johnny Lawrence doing uh, everything we, we want to be able to do, or LaRusso uh, doing something that's kick-ass. All that stuff, all the badassery is awesome because it's entertainment, but those deeper meetings, the foundation of the heart and soul, that, that why we care for these characters. Seeing that be handed off to the next generation is uh, really rewarding. I would love that to continue. Yeah, I think it will. I think you, you could have been cartoon characters or not. Mm-hmm. I mean, and now you just remember the I remember that scene with Pat Morita crying and being drunk and you putting him into bed. And that- oh, my, that's as special as it gets. And the studio wanted it cut. Ah, you're studio kidding. studio wanted it cut, well, because it stopped the plot. Right. And, there was no kicking. And the movie was over <laughs> two hours. So that means less screening times and that means less uh, money. Yeah, that's a great story too. Yeah, uh, anyway. I got a billion of them. Well, we'll tell it another, another time. time. We'll tell it another time. I thank you so much. I really enjoyed this. Thank you. All right, bye. Thanks. Take care. Bye-bye. Sway is a production of New York Times Opinion. It's produced by Naeem Araza, Hiba Elorbani, Matt Kwong, and Vishaka Darba. Edited by Paula Schumann, with original music by Isaac Jones, mixing by Eric Gomez, and fact-checking by Kate Sinclair. Special thanks to Shannon Busta, Liriel Higa, and Kathy Tu. If you're in a podcast app already, you know how to subscribe to a podcast, so subscribe to this one. If you're listening on the Times website and want to get each new episode of Sway delivered to you like an illegal crane kick, download a podcast app like Stitcher or Google Podcasts, then search for Sway and hit subscribe. We release every Monday and Thursday. And remember, Cobra Kai never dies. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation.